I want to talk this morning about honoring kingdom women. It feels like with the uh, it feels like it's just fitting to do do a message this morning. Follow up uh, following up on our Bloom conference. You know, in the last few weeks, we've been promoting and honoring small business and marketplace ministry and really trying to encourage people, listen, you know, ministry is not just platform. It's not just a, a mic in your hand. It is like we're all called to minister and you're all equipped and God is sending you out strategically into, into fields of ed- education and government and, and, and small businesses and large businesses because that's where you are, that's where He is. And it's important that we get that in our spirit. Uh, but I felt like I wanted, especially with the Bloom Conference, to take some time and honor the women uh, in the kingdom and the, and the women in the church. I knew I was going to do that. I'm just going to kick that thing over. You know, all right, it'll be, it'll be good. Nobody get distracted by it. Uh, but um, I know it's not Mother's Day until next week. How many of you realize it's Mother's Day next week? Man, I didn't hear one of you. I'm sorry, I heard the women, woohoo! And I'm like, and they're turning and looking at their guys like, hey, you remember, right? Oh my word, we got it. We got some teaching to do here. Seriously, should be the best day of the month for, for, for our women. So, but I'm not going to preach next week because something special is going to happen and that Pastor Robbie's going to be leading. But can I say this, ladies, that this place wouldn't be what it is without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, and it wouldn't be the same without you. Your giving, uh, your leadership, your passion, uh, and your willingness to be women that are committed to building the kingdom of God is just unparalleled. Our homes wouldn't be the same. Our marriages wouldn't be the same. Our children wouldn't be the same without your purpose, your dedication, the equipping that God has poured into you. You're smart. You're gifted. You're determined. You have passion. You know how to grind it out. You're committed to family. You can grow a business and, uh, and nurture dreams not only for yourself, but for others. And Jesus has chosen people to be on His staff and team to grow the Kingdom of God, to grow the church. And you are definitely the A-team. You're on the A-team. I don't know what, we, what, what the church would be like. See, I was, I, I was raised by a single mom who prayed, who worked. She'd work sometimes two jobs, three jobs raising her kids. She started at least two businesses and every one of her children, every one of her grandchildren and great-grandchildren are following the Lord today. Um, her daughters and granddaughters are successful in business and leadership. She probably wasn't sure if I would make it, you know, but, but they, they've done really good. And, and, and if I can say this, you are following in the steps and filling some pretty big shoes when we consider that in the Old Testament, God chose many women to lead in roles and decisions that affected the entire nation of Israel. For example, you look at Deborah. Deborah was the senior judge for a number of years over Israel. Okay? You look at what she did. She governed, she prophesied, and even commanded Barak to go to war. Esther not only saved the nation of Israel, but also called that entire nation to a solemn assembly. She had that kind of influence, and God used her for that for such a time as this. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God said He would pour out 
His Spirit on His sons and daughters. Which actually in the New Testament, uh, more of a, a, a male-dominated culture flipped the script because it was like, what? You're going to pour out your Spirit on, on women? Even though they had a, a rich history of God using women in the Old Testament. You look at Huldah, was a prophetess in the Old Testament. And there was this priest named Hilkiah where along with some others went to her. It's like there's some things that are happening and we need to go to her and see what God would say through her. Because you know, the Spirit of the Lord can stand up in people and basically proclaim what God is saying. So they go to her, and, and, and not only did the Lord speak through her, but she also had words to take back to the king of Judah. And how about that New Testament church? I think it's interesting that in the New Testament, in, 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 the, in the male-dominated culture, that women were first at the tomb to see Jesus. And the first people that He revealed Himself to and instructed them to share if you want to break down even the word preaching, it's simply declaring. And He directed them to go back and share the news of the resurrection and He appeared to them first. I mean, it's pretty interesting when you just look at all this. And how about that New Testament church? How about Phoebe? In Romans 16.1, she was commanded by the Apostle Paul to be a servant. And that word servant is diakonos in the Greek. It's translated. And what it means is deacon. Kind of crazy. Here she is. She's doing it. You look at Lydia in Acts chapter 16, verse 40. Most scholars believe that this was a house church led by Lydia. Or Priscilla and Aquila. Most of the time in the New Testament, the person that was preeminent would be named first. Okay, and, and, and then to top that off, uh, the, you know, the Bible uh, talks about Alexander who spoke powerfully, a very powerful speaker. And then when Priscilla and Aquila, it says that they took him aside and gave him further instruction. Okay, that's, that's cool. Or how about Romans chapter 16, verse 7? Romans 16, 7, it says, Greet, greet, Paul writes, greet Andro- Andronicus and Junia. My kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, they are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Another translation says they are counted among the apostles. Now, Junia was thought by many scholars to be a woman and mentioned among the apostles. There's an early church uh, bishop, John Christodom, lived from 33, 3, 337 to 407. And he said this about Junia, right? He writes, Oh, how great is the devotion of this woman that she should be counted worthy of the appellation of an apostle. Two other early church fathers, uh, Origen in the second century and Jerome in the fourth century, spoke of the woman Junia as an apostle. What can break your head? What, what, what's God doing here? And so one of the enduring controversies and discussions in the church for quite a while, and I think it'll probably continue, will be the role, what is the role of women in the church and the role of their ministry? We will, uh, you know, we'll occasionally have, have Robbie, for those of you that, would you just stand up for a minute? Maybe there's there are probably people here that don't know who you are. This is Pastor Robbie. She's my wife. She's, go- she's awesome. 
I'm buttering her up so she doesn't throw anything at me this service. But there's times, Mother's Day, maybe other occasions, where we'll have her, have her basically teach, preach. And there's been, sometimes it's not comfortable for people. We've actually, in the past, we've had people that, you know, love the church, but they're going to leave because you have a woman teaching. And even if she would come up and she, and she would say that she's so good, I'm teaching, I'm speaking under the authority of my husband and my elders. There would still be something there that, you know, if you've come from that stream where it's like, and, you know, and, and like, I don't know, to me, we kind of dance around it a little bit and we say, well, you know, she's not preaching, she's not teaching, she's sharing. You know? I, you know, we're just, I, I'm just going to break some things open and, and kind of tell you what my heart is on this as I search the Scripture and try to walk the best I can with this. But there is most of what we struggle with or the churches struggle with comes from two troubling passages that Scripture, that scholars have wrestled with for a long time. And if not for these two passages, most likely we wouldn't struggle with a woman teaching, preaching, or leading, or even being called a pastor. And so, you know, what we have to be careful with sometimes, like, wow, wait, woman being called a pastor. Listen, the word pastor is only used once in the New Testament. And it really refers to not an office, but it refers to a function. Okay, so I just kind of want to get that out there. I don't care what you call me. Don't call me reverend. I actually, you know, I'll be reverend. Like, I don't see that in the Bible, so don't call me reverend. It feels really weird. Just, just call me Jeff, whatever you want to do. But what I do is I pastor. Just like if you're a doctor, what you do is you, you doctor, right? Okay, so we're, we're just trying to honor people in the roles that they're doing. But I wanted to look at the first passage of Scripture. You guys hanging with me? Okay, 1 Corinthians 14, 33-35. So here's Paul and he writes, for God is not a God of confusion. So you know there's some confusion, but He's a God of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Verse 34 says, the, woman, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. And if there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. So first of all, you have to look at the context and you have to exegete this thing in a correct hermeneutical way. If Paul was addressing the issue of confusion and disorder, and confusion in the, in the church in Corinth, the different house churches, church history tells us a big part of that confusion is caused by women that were coming out of the worship of Diana and they were interrupting the house church teaching with a barrage of questions and confusing, confusing ideologies, as well as the other thing that they were dealing with was a lack of education. In that culture, women were not educated, nor were they encouraged to be educated. Okay, So that's kind of the context of this thing. Because, and, mo- and most scholars believe that that's what we see Paul, he was, he was giving, he was dealing with that issue because if you go back a few chapters, back to 1 Corinthians 11, 4 through 5, Paul was actually giving instruction to women how to operate in a corporate setting. Okay, let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 11, 4 through 5. It says, every man who prays or prophesies, 
with his head covered, dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, every, every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. So he's actually over here, he's dealing with an issue, but back here he's actually giving some order on what needs to happen in that, in that, in the house church setting, in the, in the church setting. And, and in the early church, it's kind of interesting. There was a high priority on prophecy. Just like in the Old Testament, where Moses said, I would that all of God's people would prophesy. Prophecy simply, it's a declaration of what God is doing, and it's pretty obvious that women were involved in the corporate service. Right? In fact, it's interesting because more prophets in the New Testament were identified as women than men. Philip's daughters, four daughters, all prophetesses, right? You go back and you got to look at the whole context of the Bible. What are we dealing with? How do we translate this? So in essence, to make Paul's address here, it was a response to a problem, and if it was to establish an order in the church, then we're left with some confusion. So how do we translate that today? How do we wrestle with this theological doctrinal thing that's been part of what we've wrestled with. Now, there's a word, uh, verbiage I want to I want to just introduce to you. It's called transcultural mandate, and a transcultural mandate is information or directive. Somebody say directive that extends across culture or time. It means when it was said here that it wasn't just for here, but actually it extends across the culture or, or time. And so there were things that Paul spoke that were relevant to his present culture. And the situation and aren't necessarily applicable to us across the board. So I want to look at a couple of them so that I give you an example. In 1 Timothy, Paul is writing some pretty important stuff concerning you know, leadership and character, etc., etc. And then in 1 Timothy 5.23, he kind of it's like he pauses and he says this in verse 5 or chapter 5, verse 23. To Timothy personally, I no longer, he says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. That doesn't carry over to us today. If we taught that as a doctor, it'd be, oh, you got a bellyache, go get some wine. I mean, I've never had a doctor prescribe me wine for a stomach ache, right? So, so we, we have to look at that. He pauses and he writes something that's personal for the moment and it's not a transcultural mandate. Okay, so another passage of Scripture that lays some pretty severe restrictions on the role of women in ministry would be 1 Timothy 2, 8-15. through So in 1 Timothy 2, verse 8, it says, I desire then, and I want you to note, he says, I desire, I desire then that in every place the men, the men, should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Okay, so here, here's one I want to present to you. If you're going to take this passage that talks about, I don't permit a woman to speak or have authority over a man, and then you want to basically extrapolate that to be, you know, uh, you shouldn't have them teaching or preaching, okay? You have to take this whole passage. You can't just take part of it. You have to take the whole passage and you have to, you have to recognize that 
Paul was actually talking about a heart attitude that when men prayed or worshipped and lifted their hands, it was out without being angry or contentious. Okay? Um, if you take it the other way, you have to say that every time, every place, I desire that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger, calling everywhere I go. I desire men everywhere would pray lifting hands. Everywhere I go. I'm going in to the gas station. I'm going in. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, if you want to be literal, you got to be literal. So you have to, you have to break this apart. And, and so 1 Timothy 2.9, it says, Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So is that a, is that a present to his culture? Is that a transcultural mandate? Uh, you, you know, Paul's not saying dress down to illustrate how spiritual you are. But women were being influenced too much by their culture and by their insecurity, and they weren't being, they, the, there was no awareness of, of the inner qualities that are important to kingdom people, men and women. Otherwise, if you're sitting here and your hair's braided, uh, uh, no, no, get that braid out of your hair. If you're wearing pearls or gold or whatever, if you've got a little paint on the barn doors, you know, you're not, not, you don't want to be doing that. Right? You either have to take it all literally or you have to exegete it and go, okay, what is he? Let's struggle with this and let's pull on this a little bit. And let's get real. Our standards and customs of dress have changed over the years when it comes to church. I was talking to, uh, talking to a brother recently. He'd come to our, our men's armor up group and he was saying, yeah, I'm really trying to get my, my dad to come to church, but he's afraid that he won't fit in. And he said, yeah, but dad, he says the only guy that, that really dresses up is basically Pastor Jeff. Everybody else just comes as they are. I'm like, I don't know. I, I mean, you know. I mean, I remember when I've been a lead pastor now for 20 years and, and preached before that as a youth pastor. And I remember a time when, man, you didn't preach or show up. or I mean, if you were... You, I, I felt funny. I felt like I was in sin the first few times I preached with jeans on. Unless I was on, at a man's camp, you know, or something like that. Well, then it's okay. You know, you got jeans on, you got a little bit of ketchup on your, you know, your shirt or whatever, then it's okay. But, but, you know, look at, look at our culture. I mean, I guarantee you that if I showed up and preached in a suit and tie, which used to be kind of the deal, if I did that every Sunday, there would be people like, whoa, you know, I don't know if I fit in with this place. I mean, so let's just be real. Let, let's, let's think about this. Now, what Paul was saying is, in, yeah, there's a place where, come on, just, you know, I mean, dress appropriately for the situation. I mean, probably not a good thing for the girls to come to church on Sunday in their bathing suits. That probably wouldn't be bad. You know, I mean, I mean that, would, that would be bad. Sorry. <laughs> oh, duck, she just threw something at me. Now, um, I want you to notice that Paul is also stating, this is where I, I try to wrestle with context and wrestle with exegesis and wrestle with Scripture. Because Paul is stating 
I desire. He said, I desire. We're going to break that down in a bit. So here's where it gets difficult. In verse 11, he says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over man. Rather, she is to remain silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and become a transgressor. And yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, with self-control. First of all, this passage has to do with some of the overall principles as well as specific context. Once again, remember that this is a culture where women were uneducated. Scholars believe that the men would be on one side of the, uh, of the house church. The, the, the women would be on the other side. And the back and forth questioning was the issue, was one of the issues that Paul was dealing with. It would be like today, I'm preaching, and there's really, this is a monologue. It's not a dialogue. And if somebody was out there and they just kind of kept interrupting and blah, 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 I'd probably have to deal with it. You know, I mean, like, hold on, you know, we'll have this discussion in a small group, but right now I've got, I've got the attention and, and, and I'm releasing the thing. That's what most scholars believe what was happening. But I want to point something else out here. Paul writes, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. The first question I have, is this Paul's personal desire like when he wrote to Timothy, hey, take a little wine for the frequent ailments and the, you know, and the stomach problems you have. Or is it a transcultural mandate? Okay, so let me give you example of a couple different scriptures in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. He writes this, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband. And then, in 1 Corinthians 7.12, he says, but to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. So, per, you know, what we saw is that previously Paul would interject his personal desire, thoughts on the rise, and make a distinctive. And I think it is kind of interesting that out of all the apostles, the Apostle Paul was the only one that really addressed those two passages of should a woman teach, should a woman preach, should a woman blah, blah, blah. None of the other apostles basically addressed it. So, because once again, because Paul instructed Timothy to take some wine for his stomach ache, do we make it our practice and our doctrine? Should men, every time they pray, pray with their hands lifted up and be doing it all the time? Well, you could sure tell believers from non-believers. Just walking around, praying all the time with their hands. Listen, I love the lifting up of hands, but I'm trying to give you some context. Or think about this. Verse 15, in that same passage, says this, concerning women, that she'll be saved through childbearing. We can't make a doctrine out of that but it's in the same passage. Oh, all you got to do to be saved is have a baby. We're not teaching that because we recognize, okay, there's some things going on here that really we have to walk through. 
And I'm not saying that we disregard these things, but we keep them in context, in culture, and historically. Let me give you another example. If you really believe that this is saying that woman sh- a woman should not teach men and hold to a transcultural mandate, then you have to come to the conclusion that no boy over 12 should ever be taught anything spiritually or otherwise by a woman because the threshold of a age in a, uh, the age of a man in that culture was 13. And if you take verse 12 literally without regard for context, culture, and correct exegesis, then any son in the house when turning 13 would no longer have to obey his mom. All the 13s are going, yes! (laughs) I think my big son still obeys his mom. He honors her. And then, think about this, okay. If you take that literally, and you say this is a, a transcultural mandate, then any man in any culture should have authority over any woman in any church. I, I'm telling you, some wingnut guy comes up and declares because of this passage, he's over my wife and authority, I'm going to call the security team. Right? So we know that this doesn't work, but then why do we just take those two passages and we just pull them out without really kind of taking a look at what they're saying? You would also have an issue with the passage that explained how Priscilla and Aquila took Alexander aside to teach him. Because that was a, that was a husband-wife. I mean, she was obviously involved in it. So let's look at what Peter writes. How many of you know that Peter knew Paul very well? We find in 2 Peter 3.15, it says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. But as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Wow. Even Peter was going, man, I don't, I don't get this guy all the time. I don't get this guy all the time. I wish I could say that any pastor, teacher, preacher has got this all figured out. But when I look at Paul, there was some weird stuff about Paul. I'm just saying, I'm not demeaning, but he, but he, but he writes this, he writes this thing and he goes, um, he goes, well, I wish, you know, because Paul was celibate, right? And he says this, I wish all men were like me. But if you have to marry, it's better to marry than to burn. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? There ain't no way that I've had a gift of being celibate. I mean, look at my kids, you know, my grandkids. So there's something here that we have to, we have to look at this and we have to go, hmm, okay. How, how do we, how do we, how do we make this work? So the, think about this, the context and structure of a sentence changes the definition of a word. For example, I love my dog and I love my wife. We know that word love is different now. Or it should be just, I love hunting. I love my kids. It should be different or you, we need to counsel. You need to get delivered from some things, right? So we know that in our language, and the, the English language is crazy because in some of these things, I mean, depending 
on the verbiage and the vernacular. It changes the meaning, right? So, here's what I want to present to you. You guys hanging with me? You okay? Note in verse 8 that Paul wrote, men instead of man. And in verse 9, women instead of woman. It's really important. Then it changes in context. With that mind, let's break down verse 12 in a different way. 1 Timothy 2.12, we're going to go back to that. He says, and I do not permit a woman, remember, before he was talking about women, now he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, instead of man, a man, but to be in silence. Oh man, I don't permit a woman to speak, have authority over man. But what changes? The Greek word, for man or men is the same. It's spelled A-N-E-R. I believe it's pronounced aner. It's translated 150 times in the New Testament. And 40 of those times, depending on the context of the sentence, it's translated as husband. Man, men, husband, same word. The Greek word for woman or women is spelled G-U-N-E, gun. Depending on the context of the sentence, it's also translated as wife. So, women, woman, wife. So, this is where the conflict, I believe, lays. If you interpret verse 12, as Paul's directive to a woman to be subject to their husband's authority, it makes more sense in the whole picture. Many scholars propose, as, as do I, that because Paul is shifting to speaking about Adam and Eve, that the correct interpretation would be, I do not allow a wife to teach or have authority over her husband. Once again, there's an order. Men and women were created... God created them equal, but He created the man first and then the woman. And there's been a struggle since the fall of that work. You know, I even have kind of an issue with, you know, you know, or we, play, we place all the blame on Eve. I'm like, where was Adam? Seriously, dude, he was right there beside her. And it's like, he didn't say a blasted thing. He didn't... <laughs> There was no leadership there. Where was your voice? I mean, there's times like in my relationship with my wife where I've got to speak up and say, hey, hey, that's not where we're going, honey. And there's times when it works the other way too. I mean, think about Moses and his wife Zipporah. Here's Moses who's the greatest prophet, greatest leader that Israel ever knew. And I mean, he's moving, he's delivered people from, from Egypt. He's moving them to the promised land. And then there came a point where basically God, it's crazy how quick it happens. God's going to kill him. It says in the Bible, God's going to kill him. And then his wife basically confronts Moses and saves his life. Because you know what Moses was doing? He was actually teaching people principles that he wasn't actually doing in his own family. And his wife was the Savior of the day. 
I mean, seriously. When this is what I believe. When Paul's writing, I do not allow a woman, and I believe that the, the right context would be a wife to teach. It's teach because of the culture of the women were uneducated. Authority, because although men and women were created equal, there was an order to the creation. And then you have this passage in Galatians that Paul wrote. He said there's neither, in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, more educated, theologically trained people than me with all kinds of letters like PhD behind their name, they can't totally agree. This is something that the church has struggled with. So I've attempted to present a balanced picture for you. And, and to the women of the Kingdom of God that are hearing my voice, I said earlier that you have some pretty big shoes to fill considering the past women that God has used consistently to bring heaven to earth and to expand the kingdom. I mean, it's, it, it, it's amazing. And if I can say this, I think you're doing great. You're ministering at your homes, your, your workplaces, your small businesses, your homeschooling, your parenting well. You may be the single mom and God sees what you're doing, how you're raising your children. You're helping to lead a church community in worship, in administration, bringing vision and passion for outreach. You're grinding it out and you're discipling others well. That's what you're doing. Can I just say well done? Can I just say well done? When I see, listen, we would not be the same place without you. And I'm so proud of you. I mean, I, I, my heart is just full. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually humbled and challenged sometimes by what you will do for the sake of the Kingdom of God. It's pretty inspiring. It's pretty inspiring. And I just believe that today you need to be commended for your faith. Commended for the fruit that's being produced in your life and in those around you. No matter where God has placed you. No matter what you're doing, the presence of God is with you. The equipping of the Holy Spirit is with you. I just believe there's some amazing things that are happening. And I want to honor the women of the kingdom of God today. Can we just put our hands together and give them, uh, you know, just, just give them up. Come on, man. You're doing good. You're doing good. Listen, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to, I want to pray this morning. I want to get us into an attitude of prayer this morning. And uh, Jesus, I, I just thank You so much. I thank You so much. Help us to... Lord, there's a lot of theological and doctrinal things that we're just trying to wrestle with you know, as, as, as followers. and I don't know anybody that's got it all figured out. About the time that somebody writes a book, you know, 88 reasons that... Jesus is coming in 88, and they write another book, 89 Reasons. We, we just, man, we're just, we're all on this journey. And so I pray that You reveal Your Word to us by Your Holy Spirit. And I pray right now too, Lord, I just, I, I can't help but in the, in the just atmosphere of worship and hope today, Lord, I just want to, I want to invite people to come into the Kingdom if they haven't done that. If they haven't taken the step to surrender their life and say, 
I don't have this all figured out, but I can feel the love of God. I can feel the grace of God. I can feel the hope of God in my life. I mean, I can feel something. And I want to encourage you today, if you're online with us or if you're here in the sanctuary, this may be the day that you need. Listen, if you're feeling the drawing of the Holy Spirit, you've never taken that step to say, I'll become a believer in Jesus, a follower. I, I declare and profess that step of faith that, that not only is, is, is He Savior, but He's my Lord. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now by just, just wave, wave at me. Put your hand up. Say, today's my day, Pastor. I want to agree with you. It's, it's just important in the mouth of two, let everything, thank you, sir. Anybody else this morning that, that you're saying, hey, today's my day. I want to just take that step of faith and, and, and walk with the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to come in and just transform me. Father, I thank you. Can we just, we, you know, we had some people respond. Can we just put our hands together and just, come on. Let's all stand up together.